Welcome, and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. You might have played the game before. Hey, who would you want with you on a deserted island? I don't know who you would say, but let me give you the correct answer. It's a guy by the name of Steve Callahan. Now, you might have never heard of Steve Callahan, but the directors of Castaway and Life of Pi called Steve Callahan to understand his survival skills so that they could base their main characters off of him. Because back in 1981, Steve Callahan got into a boat that he himself made and began to sail across the Atlantic. Uh, But midway through, a whale attacked his boat and he fended off that whale, you know, like you do. And uh, the problem was now the boat was destroyed and so he got into a little life raft and for the next 76 days, Steve was adrift in the middle of the Atlantic. And yet he had this deep knowledge within him that helped him to navigate where he needed to go because he crafted for himself what was, what was a makeshift nautical tool called a sextant. And he crafted this thing with these pencils in which he would use this navigational tool in order to understand where he was on the globe. A sextant is used to use some fixed points in reality, the North Star above you and the horizon line around you to understand where you are in the globe so that you can get where you need to go. And so Steve, using the knowledge that he had within him and this fixed reality above him of the North Star, And this horizon around him understood where he was. And then he was able to get where he needed to go, the right current that ultimately brought him to safety and back home. So once again, the correct answer to who would you have with you on the deserted island, Steve Callahan. And now I mention that to you because as as I've been thinking and moving through the book of Ephesians with our church body, I've been thinking how much that story is really the book of Ephesians. That in chapter one, we hear about this deep knowledge we have of who God is and what he's done for us and therefore who we are, this deep riches that we have in Christ alone. And last week we prayed that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to know this God, who he is and what he's done. We have this knowledge within us. And yet what Paul's gonna do in chapters two and chapter three is he's gonna lift our gaze and he's gonna help us to see this North Star above us called the gospel. And then he's gonna help us to look around at the horizon line of community of fellow believers. And with this knowledge within us and the North Star above us and community around us, we can navigate this life and find safety, find peace, find joy, find fulfillment in Christ alone. That's the story of the Bible. That's the story of the book of Ephesians. Now, the reality of it is, I, like many of you, can drift. A couple weeks ago, when everything was going on in just kind of uh, the crescendo moment in our world with, with COVID and some of the stuff at DC and politics, I just found myself not getting informed by what was going on in the world, but being consumed by it. And so the voice that I was listening to more and more and more wasn't the voice of Jesus, but the voice of political pundits and podcasts. And so I begin to see in my heart some drifting. And when I drift, I go to performance, I go to perfectionism, I go to a works-based acceptance. And so I begin to believe that, like, hey, this one meeting or this one day or this one message is where I'm going to get my validation. 
And I began to see in my own heart because I wasn't walking with this intimacy with God. And I had, I had taken my view off of the gospel and I wasn't running as strong with community and I was just filling my life with all these things of the world. I began to drift. And so if you were to look through my journal, which is just how I often pray to God, you would see words around that season like anxiety and overwhelmed. And Lord, I don't know what's really happening right now, but there's something just not clicking in my heart. And God in his grace just reminded me that I was drifting. And he showed me how to get back on the right track. And I prayed. I said, once more, Lord, I've taken my eyes off of you. And the next day, after I had listened to some verses of just reminding me of the gospel, reminding me of who I was in Jesus, some of the verses in Ephesians, the next day I just said, Lord, I've seen a bit more clearly just how much my mind had been on the things of this world and not the things of you. It's subtle, really. It's a podcast. It's a conversation. It's a podcast. It's a Twitter feed. It's a podcast. Okay, maybe not so subtle, Lord. And I begin to thank God for people in my life and, and community that I could share this stuff to and, and the gospel message that I'm saved by grace through faith alone and been, be able to think about these things and linger with them. And so by the next day, I was saying, thank you, Lord, for all these things in my life. And the following days, I was saying, Lord, I'm finding freedom from this performance that I was starting to drift towards. And so I don't know where you are at right now. And I don't know where you drift. You do. You know where you drift. But the good news is that God wants us to get us back. And that's why the first three chapters of Ephesians, where Paul is writing to believers, he's gonna remind them of what it means to linger in this intimate relationship with God. And then he's gonna lift their gaze to see the, the North Star of the gospel, the good news that we've been saved in Christ. And then he's gonna help us to see the horizon line of community around us so that we can run together and we can navigate this world and find life find peace. Because when we don't, we will just drift to wherever the winds of the world will take us. And we'll start looking more like those that are dead than those that are alive in Christ. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at this fixed point above us. Last week, we looked at the knowledge of God within us. And, and this week, we're going to be looking at this fixed point above us of the, the gospel that we've been saved in Christ. And in order to do that, we're going to look at Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. And, and I love the way that Paul writes because he's so logical. He's so, uh, he, he breaks it apart so clearly for us. And so what we see in these 10 verses is three movements. We see our sin in verses 1 through 3, what we were by nature. And yet God would interject into our, our story and in the reality of our sin, we see the response of God and the rescue of God and the salvation of, of God through Jesus Christ. And then from there, we see our response to living a life for him and for others in a life of service. So those are our movements this morning because that's the movements of the passage, sin, salvation, service. And it's my hope, and it's the hope of this passage that we would see what we were by nature and yet what we are meant to be by grace. And so that's where we're going this morning. And so first up, we're gonna look at sin, the reality of sin in the first three verses. We sit in that reality. Verses one through three say this. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, a spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. 
among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so right off the bat, we see the reality of our sin. And the first reality that we see is that we were dead in our sin. We are dead in our trespasses and our sins. That word dead is the Greek word nekros, which means a corpse. And so don't let that escape you that before Christ, you weren't a spiritual trust fund baby like we talked about week one. You were a spiritual corpse. You were dead. And just think about that. If you've seen a dead body, there's something unnatural about that. A body without a life in it. And so you take your pride to this verse because it'll humble you. Because we were dead dead in our trespasses and sins. Not partly dead, not nearly dead, not almost dead, but we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And so because of that, we were like a dead fish being thrown into a lake. We were just taking whatever the current of this world took us. And that's why it says three different things about our reality, that we were dead in our sins and therefore we were following the course of this world. We were following the prince of the power of the air and we were carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. That this trifold unity, this tri-unity of this unholy tri-unity of God was warring against you the world, the flesh, the devil. That the world is the collective conscience of humanity. It's the collective rebellion that says, hey, I know what's right, I know what's wrong. It's the stuff that's screaming at you every time you turn on any form of media. It's the world around you that's declaring, this is what's right, this is what's wrong, this is what's good, this is what's evil. It's collective humanity. And then it says that we had this individual that we are following, the prince of the power of the air. In other places in scripture, it says Satan or the devil. All those names mean an adversary, someone who's an opponent of you and of God, who hates God, who hates you, and stirs up the things of the world to grab your attention because he wants you to carry out the disease of the body and of the mind, the flesh. The world, the flesh, and the devil, where God's word, God's spirit, God's people are meant to bring you into a deeper understanding of who God is and an intimate relationship with him. You have the world and the flesh and the devil constantly trying to pull you back. And we give ourselves to these things way too much. And we consume our lives with it and we look a lot like dead fish that are just going with over the course of this world. And so it's interesting. Anytime you, you see this atrocity happen in our country, maybe it's a mass shooting or something like that, something that grabs our country's attention, all of a sudden all the news pundits begin to look at this and they start to ask these different questions like, hey, what, what happened? What went, what went wrong with this individuals? And they try to kind of categorize it into different categories. Some people will say, well, you know what was wrong with this person? Well, but they were on certain Facebook groups and, and they were listening to certain music and they were playing certain video games and they were a part of certain groups and, and, and other pundits will go, no, 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 there's something broken in them, something wrong in them, something's not clicking right in them. And a lot of them just look at the whole situation and see the darkness thereof and go, look, I don't know what was wrong with that person, but that thing, that was dark, that was evil. And what's fascinating about that is the world, without knowing it, actually categorized it into these three things, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to look at this individual who's done this, this atrocious act and, and try to look at whatever was true of that individual isn't true of me. And so I can kind of blame some stuff around that individual or I can try to fix some stuff around that individual. 
Because we don't think that we're just as dead as they are. And yet the Bible is very clear. Look at this passage again. It's true that the world, the flesh, and the devil, they're conspiring to pull you away from the things of God. But those things aren't to blame. You are. It says you were the one who was dead in your sins. And because of that, you were following the course of the world. You were following the prince of the power of the air. You were carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. The greatest enemy and the greatest threat in your life is you. It's you. And we like to blame others. And we like to look at it, look, if my, if my wife was just like this, if my husband was just like this, if my kids were just like this, if my family was just like this, if my coworkers were just like this, if my boss was just like this, if I fill in the blank, like we just love that. Because we can blame everyone else. But the Bible won't let you do that. It says that you were dead and because you were dead, you were following the prince of the power of the air, the course of this world, the, the carrying up the disease of the body and of the mind, the world, the flesh and the devil. And because you were dead, you were by nature, not a children of God, but a child of wrath, just like everyone else. And so when you read throughout scripture, when Jesus came, before he rose from the grave, you see him, him raising to life three different individuals. And what we like to compare, what's interesting about these three ind individuals is, is actually true about all of us, that the degree of the decay was different, but the diagnosis of death was exactly the same. The first individual was this little girl. She had just died. They said it looked like she was asleep. She was still warm. The next person was a, a young boy who was the son of a widow he had been dead for maybe a few hours, maybe a day. The decay had started to creep in. The last individual was Lazarus. And if you know that story, when Jesus comes in, he had been dead for four days. And so when Jesus comes in, he says, hey, take the tomb away. And they go, don't do it. He's gonna smell. He's decayed. And we like to compare degrees of decay, but the reality, the diagnosis for all of us is that we were dead. And what was true of those three individuals is that they were dead until Jesus interjected into their story. And that's what Jesus does. Like dead people don't need a teacher. Dead people don't need self-help gurus. Dead people don't need leaders. What dead people need and what you need is a miracle. And a miracle by its very definition is when God interrupts and interjects himself into the human story and brings hope and joy and life. That's exactly what God does next. That's the reality of our sin. And yet the good news is God has sent a rescuer named Jesus to bring us the free gift of salvation. Verse four says this, it says, but God, in the midst of our deadness, in the midst of our inability to do anything to earn our way back to God, it says, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we are dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 
and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. I love this verse because it shows us that God's very nature is to interject into the human story. That while we were still sinners, God came in the person of Jesus Christ to live the life that we could not die the death that we deserve. It was while we were yet sinners, not when we cleaned ourselves up. That when we were dead, he made us alive. And so you might be in here and you can see these beautiful words, but God. And you might look at your marriage and go, look, my marriage is dead. But God. Look, my kid's far away from any life I would want for them. Yes, but God. Look, I'm anxious. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm stressed out. I'm lustful. Yes, but God. His very nature is to interject into our stories and bring life and hope and beauty and satisfaction. And it's not because of something you did. This verse tells us it was but God being rich in mercy. It doesn't point downstream to you. It points back up to God. But the reason he interjected into our story was entirely because of himself. We see his attribute, but God being rich in mercy. He's rich in mercy. Mercy is when someone stronger reaches down to someone weaker. And God is rich in that. That's his attribute. But then it talks about his affection for you. He was rich in mercy, but because of the great love in which he loved you. And he didn't interject because you had performed. He didn't interrupt because you had done certain things. He loves you because he loves you. And because of this affection that God has for you, because of this attribute that God is, God acts. And we see the activity of God. It shows us that he does three different things, that he interjected to our story, that even though we were dead in our sins, he made us alive together with Christ. He he raised us up with him. He seated us with him in the heavenly places. And so you go in Christ from the lowest of low. You were dead to now the highest of high. You've been made alive. You go from being enslaved to sin to reigning with Christ. It's in him, in him, in him. And what I love about what the passage is doing here and what God is doing is he's actually repeating himself. Like if you've been studying the book with us, you might notice that this is almost a verbatim quote from chapter one. That what God the Father did with Jesus Christ was he raised him from the dead and he seated him at the right hand of the heavenly places. And your life now in Christ is so identified with the person and work of Jesus that when he died, you died. When he rose, you rose. And when he ascended to sit at the right hand of power, you are ascending with him and reigning with him. You go from the lowest of low, dead, to the highest of high, alive. You go from being enslaved to reigning. It's the great reversal of God. And all of this is because he loves you and he is rich in mercy. And what I love about our God is he loves to give because that's not even it. The passage just keeps getting better. 
It says in verse seven, it says God did all this. He, he took you from death to life. Why? So that in the coming ages for eternity future, that he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I love this because the passage is saying, look, God has saved you. He has rescued you. You were dead in your sin and he's made you alive in Christ. Why? So that in the coming ages for all of eternity, he would blow your mind. That's what he wants to do to show you the immeasurable riches and grace and kindness towards you in Christ Jesus. Now that I'm a father, I begin to see this more and more with my kid. Like my son's almost one years old and, and so we've made it. One year down, 17 to go, we've made it. But uh, I don't know if you knew this, one year olds don't typically contribute to the household. In fact, they can be quite a drain to the household. I've never seen my son mow the yard. He's never cleaned dishes. He's never made us a meal. He hasn't done any of that. He's not a financial contributor of our household. He's actually kind of a financial drain. He, he doesn't really do anything. And yet his birthday's coming up. And my wife and I, this past weekend, we went online and we Googled this phrase, what do you get a one-year-old for their birthday? And man, I went down a rabbit trail of all these amazing things. And so if you almost have a one-year-old, do not Google that phrase unless you have some time to kill because I spent so much time looking at so many different gifts and things that I didn't have whenever I was his age, but I kind of want to play with now. And so I was like, get that, get that, get that, order that, order that, get it here by his birthday because we are going to celebrate his little life. Why? He hasn't done anything. He hasn't earned it. So why celebrate? Why lavish him with gifts? It's obvious. It's because he's my son. And because he's my son, he gets everything. He is the object of my love and my wife's love and generosity. And I know that the best thing I can give him as his dad isn't a gift that he's gonna end up playing with the box more of anyways. The best thing I can give him is me. So I delight to spend time with him. When his little arms raise up, I know it's because he knows daddy is reaching down and that daddy wants to spend time with him because daddy loves him. And that's God to you. Never forget that. He's done all of this because he loves you. And all of this, his attributes, his affection, his activity is summarized in one beautiful word. It's grace. It's grace. That word gets thrown around a lot in our world today. The best definition I've heard is this. That grace is when an unobligated giver gives an unbelievable gift to an undeserving recipient. So let's personalize that. That's what God's done with us. That grace is when an unobligated giver, God, gives an unbelievable gift, salvation, to an undeserving recipient. That's you. That's me. That's anyone that has lifted their arms in faith and trusted the strong arms of their heavenly Father and have trusted in Christ alone. 
It's a beautiful gift. It's a beautiful gift. It says, for by grace you have been saved, and it's through faith. It says, look, it's not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast that grace is the activity of God and faith is the way that we receive it. And this isn't your own doing. It's not something you've done. It says this is the gift of God. And so anytime uh, we get a chance to talk to someone, and if you're a member here, you would have gone through this of, of just us understanding where you're at in your walk with Jesus. And so we ask a simple question, hey, scale of one to 10, if you were to die today, how confident are you that you would enter into eternity with God? And, and I want you us just to pause for a second and think about that. Scale of one to 10, what number comes to your mind? You know what the number one number is outside of 10? Seven. And I have no idea why. That just seems to be the common number. But when we ask that question, hey, why? Why seven? Almost every single time, what, what people say is this. Look, I, I haven't done a certain amount of things, or I've done way too much of some other stuff. And so I'm just kind of getting my act right. And, and I think God loves me. I, I've heard the gospel. I've, I think I've trusted in that. But, 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 I, but I know what I've done. And I know what I haven't done. And so every time that happens, we just grab our Bible and we just open it up to this passage and we just hold it out to them and we have them read it. And I see them looking at it and they say, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one can boast. And when that light bulb goes on in the human heart, I see individuals that have been coming to church their whole life begin to tear up and begin to cry because they get in and see that there is a gift that God wants to give you and it's not something you've done. It's something he gives freely. And so I've been meditating on this part this whole week. You know, we're memorizing Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 and I've had so much joy just memorizing it but we memorize things in order to meditate on them, to have the words of Jesus going through our head throughout the day and so I've, I've had this in my head all week and, and I shared it with my community guys and I shared it with my wife how, how freeing this verse is like how freeing the gift of God and the grace of God is that we can have this amazing gift of God by grace through faith that, that I don't need to bring my resume to God. I don't need to prove myself to anyone that is by grace through faith. This is the gift of God. Like God's not up in heaven with his laptop open looking at your LinkedIn profile. He's not doing that. He's not scanning them all and going, oh, whoa, whoa, Holy Spirit, get over here. Uh, go get this guy right here because he is crushing it. It looks like he's kind of padding his resume, but we'll overlook that. But actually you go down, ignore all of these people because I've seen their profile. And, like, it's not what he's doing. It's, it's not because of you. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love in which he loved us. And so faith by its very nature takes his eyes off of yourself and puts it on God. Because when we start thinking about ourselves, we err on the side of either pride, look at me and what I've done, or insecurity. Don't look at me, don't want to look at what I've done. And those first three verses combat your pride. You were dead. But then verses four through nine Combat that insecurity, yes, but God loves you. He made you alive. 
He's for you. And this is the beautiful gift of God that though we were sinners, he offered a way of salvation. Or as Tim Keller wonderfully says it, that the gospel is this, the good news of Jesus Christ is this, that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That yes, we were dead. Yes, we were a spiritual corpse. Yes, we were following everything in this world. But God interjected and he brought life because we're more loved than you can possibly imagine. And so here's the reality of our sin. And yet we see the rescue in Jesus. This is the safe place we always talk about. And yet then God will call us to something higher. He goes from sin to salvation, back to service. That we would see what we were by nature and what we could be by grace. And that's what verse 10 is all about. So what do we do with all of this? How does the wealth we have in Jesus affect how we walk for Jesus? Verse 10 tells us. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So what do we do? First, we gotta see ourselves rightly. It says, for we are his. We are his. We're his. The same God that I just told you about, the same God who's revealing, we're his. Like every single verb up until this point has been in the past tense. You were dead. God made you alive. This is the first time it's in the present tense so that if you're in Christ right now, you are his. And it says that you are his workmanship. That's a Greek word, poemia. It's where we get poetry, that you are God's creative expression and poetry. That's who you are, that you need to re-see yourself rightly. Because when you see yourself rightly, then you will serve others fully because you were his workmanship created in Christ for good works, which God's already prepared before you, that you should walk in them. And I want you to notice that it doesn't say that you will walk in them. It says that you should. When you see yourself rightly as a recreated masterpiece of God, it'll flow out into a life of service. This is the great reversal of the passage. This is what it means when God interjects, that we would stop being selfish in our sin because sin is inherently selfish. It focuses on you. And we would start being selfless as we take our eyes off of ourselves and put them back on God as we love and serve others. And we see this in the passage that in verses two, it says, look, when you were dead, you walked. You walked in these ways by the world, the flesh, and the devil. You were by nature a child of wrath, but you're a child of God now if you're in Christ, if you've trusted in him. So you don't walk now in the world and the flesh and the devil. You grab God's word you grab God's people and you walk by God's spirit to walk in good works. This is the great movement. And what I love is what Paul's doing in this passage because the very first main verb, the first action 
is in us. It's verse five, that God made us alive with Christ. And I love that as I've been here over the last couple of years, I've seen that. I've seen that more and more in my own life and I've seen that in the life of those around me. Like, like, like whenever we first started here, my, my wife went online and she looked at like all these different ways you could serve and literally she stayed up until 2 a.m. seeing all the different places that you could serve because we had come from a, a dead church in which there wasn't a lot of ability to carry out the gifts that God's given you. And I've seen that in the exact opposite way here. We, she stayed up until 2 a.m. going, okay, now I'm on the next page. Let me look through this. Now I'm on the next page. Maybe I'll do that. And she was like, okay, let me jump in. And I've seen so many of you you jump in and to use the gifts and the hardwiring and the passions that God has uniquely given you to pour yourself out into service. You know why? Because you're alive and you're not trying to earn your salvation. It's a response to the reality that you have been saved. I've seen individuals who are in their 60s, 70s, and 80s in which when the world tells you it's time for you, it's time to make much of you, you know, you've paid your dues and now, now you just do whatever you want. I've seen people who are at the age of retirement, no, 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 no. It's not about me. I'm gonna serve and invest in others. And I've seen people in their 60s and 70s and 80s spend year after year after year walking with our kids' ministry and seeing them grow up as they pass the torch on to the next generation. I've seen our students not just come to church like I did when I was a kid, but be the church and to serve and be a part of what God's doing up here. I've seen grown men, when I was the men's equipping director, I would see grown men cry because they begin to realize that they could use how God has gifted them, not just to show up and sit down, but to serve. I've seen men and women across this campus and in their homes and in their communities and in their community groups use their gifts of leadership and shepherding and coordination and team management and creative thinking and and accounting and art and photography and writing and editing and tech and design and you name it to serve and bless those around them. I've seen those of you that have taken the worst moments in your life, infertility, death of a loved one, Marriages that have been broken and and God redeeming those moments. And I've seen people who were dead in those things be made alive in Christ and then to use their story to serve others. I've seen that here. And so if you are in here and your life isn't pouring out in faith and good works and serving and loving others here and in your community groups and at your work and at homes and with your kids, if that's not you, then I love you enough to tell you, you need to check your pulse. Because you're acting a lot more like a dead man than someone who's been made alive. And you may be dead and you need a but God, or you may be drifting and you need a but God because he takes us from what we were by nature and he makes us into what we were meant to be by grace. That's what he does. But I drift. And so I need to be reminded of that North Star of the gospel. And that's why the very next verse, remember, Paul is writing to believers and he's telling the very next verse after this beautiful depiction of the gospel 
is to simply remember. Remember that you would see yourself rightly, you would serve others fully, but you share this continually. That's why we're memorizing Ephesians 2, 1 through 10. This is the first verse, this verse, first verb in the entire book. And it's just to remember that you were once dead and God's made you alive. You were once a sinner enslaved and now you're reigning with him. And so see yourself rightly, serve others and pour yourself out. And when you find yourself drifting, you share this continually with yourself. The first person you should share the gospel with every single day is you. And just like any gift you're given, you enjoy it, you celebrate it, but then you share it with others. You share this continually to yourself and you share it to a hurting and broken world. So last story. Steve Callahan, whenever he was out in the middle of the ocean, a few months later after he was rescued and after he made it back to land, somebody asked him a question, hey, what was it like being out there? And he said it was the strangest thing. You know, I, I would see these beautiful sunrises and sunsets, but then I would look around at my situation and I would see the wreckage and I would see the death and, and I thought I was gonna die. And he said this, he said, it was like looking into heaven while sitting in hell. And we love you right here, right now, way too much to not tell you that if you have not trusted Christ, who he is and what he's done, then you are dead. You are spiritually dead. Just like all of us were. And you might look at your own decay and go, yeah, but, yeah, but, and I would look at you and go, but God, that he loves you and he wants to take you from your death and bring you into life. And that only happens when your little arms of faith just reach up and trust him. It's nothing you've done. It's only the work he's done for you. Some of you in here are dead and God wants to make you alive. And some of you in here are drifting. And you may be a little bit off course or you might be a lot off course, but you'll, you will begin to see the wreckage around you because all sin leads to death. And God loves you enough not to leave you there. And you need to fix your gaze back on that North Star of the gospel so that you would see yourself rightly and then you would serve others fully as you share this message continually because there is a world around you that is lost at sea and they need to hear about the North Star of Jesus, that we were dead but been made alive, that he can take any of us that were by nature sinners and make us saints by his grace. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.